Chapter 19 After a long period of silence, Laura could hear the jittering rattle of the coffee cups and beer bottles on the tabletop above her. She blindly felt around in the seat of the booth. Caleb was no longer on top of her. She blinked, opening her eyes and squinting. She brought her hands to her neck. It was cold to the touch, and the pain of being choked had vanished. But her head was throbbing. She was lying on her side with a denim jacket thrown over her like a blanket. She was staring across the underside of the table at a pair of legs. She thought for a moment, trying to remember what had been real or just a dream. She sat up and rubbed her eyes, hoping to find Dan across from her and forget this whole nightmare of a night. But Caleb Caulfield was sitting across from her. He was reading a newspaper with his glasses propped up on his forehead and a cup of coffee held just below his chin. The steam of it was rising like the arms of a fire. He blew gently at the steam and took a sip. Then he looked up and gave her a crooked smile and winked at her. The old woman in the corner of the room was still folding napkins and humming loudly with her back to them. Laura looked at the loud clock hanging on the wall. It was 6.57 a.m. There were three empty beer bottles in front of her, along with an untouched, cold cup of coffee. Several more empty beer bottles had been collected and corralled together next to the tiny lace lamp. Laura put a hand over her mouth and yawned. Caleb sat down the paper and laced his fingers together on the table in front of him. Good morning, he said. How did you sleep? What happened? Laura asked. You tried to strangle me. Caleb shook his head and rolled his eyes. You were dreaming, he said. I didn't do anything besides serve you this beer. He held up one of the empty bottles and wiggled it in the air. I didn't think anybody could actually be allergic to beer, but you proved me wrong. You threw up pretty bad after your fourth one. That's when you laid down and took my jacket. He raised a hand in the air and snapped his fingers at the old woman in the corner. Uh, hey, Edna, get my friend here a glass of water. The old woman stopped folding napkins and lazily walked to a sink and filled a small plastic cup. Then she walked over and plopped it down on the edge of the table, giving Laura a huffy sneer as she turned in place and walked back to her corner. Laura picked up the cup of water and thought for a moment about throwing it at the old woman, but instead drank from it slowly. It tasted awful. Caleb scratched his eyes. Listen, he said. I get that you're upset. I understand that. 
but the truth is, this is happening for a reason. Laura took the cup from her mouth and muttered, What is? Caleb leaned forward, whispering so the old woman couldn't hear them. The jar dreams, he said. Laura glared at him. Where's Dan? she asked. Caleb nodded while rubbing his temples. Dan's probably still at the hotel, he said. Either that or he's laid out in the parking lot of that hotel. I can't tell you for certain. Then take me back to the hotel, she said. I was planning on that, he said. But the hotel doesn't open until nine. We got some time to kill until then if there's anything else you want to talk about. There isn't, she said. Take me there now. Haven't you ever been curious as to why I'm in those dreams of yours, he asked. Laura looked over at him blankly. She had never cared to know. She shook her head. If this was a game, she wasn't going to play along. Caleb looked down at his paper. What do you know about Dan? he asked. How do you feel about a guy with anger in him like that? A guy that just explodes without warning. He could have really hurt someone with that iron. He could have even hurt you. I didn't want to stick around to find out, so yeah, I did snag you up. But it was for your own good. That guy doesn't deserve a girl like you. Laura rolled her eyes. Caleb took off his glasses and pinched at the bridge of his nose. Why were you at Dan's cousin's wedding? She asked. Are you stalking me? Caleb shook his head. No, he said. That's pretty vain of you to think. All the roads around here are undergoing severe rerouting. They expanded the bridge and threw a curve at the state's original detour system. I imagine you and Dan had some trouble navigating your way out of that wedding. Hell, from here on, in almost every direction, we're surrounded by a hundred or more miles of abandoned construction. Some of these roads just end in drop-off ravines. Others will take you straight into the woods with no way out. About five years ago, they contracted a guy named Stas to pave the woods to the highway and connect it to the bridge. What was supposed to happen was a streamlined grid of roads interwinding these seven lower counties. But Stas didn't have the manpower. Plus he was union or whatever that means these days. His staff was lazy and spent most of their time killing squirrels and nailing them to trees. I bet you saw an upside-down R or two, didn't you? Laura nodded. Right, Caleb said. That upside-down R is some shit from a strange music group that all these idiot kids listen to. It's like devil worship or some shit, and it's supposed to unlock the darkness inside people. 
unlock it, and let it out of its cage. Caleb looked out the window at the approaching daylight beyond the field. His voice turned low and quiet. I was in a bar one time, he said, and this younger kid was playing that band's songs on the jukebox. The kid kept poking at my arm and talking to me about the music, telling me about how powerful the words were and how a darkness would be unlocked and take over if the message got to enough people. That kid really believed it, too. I could tell by the way he was smiling when he talked. He's the one that told me about the paintings in the woods and about the ceremonies his friends and him would have. He told me about how he'd talked to Satan. He even told me about what a cool guy Satan was. Caleb smiled at these words and sipped his coffee. Anyway, he continued, I got contracted to take over the road work after Stas and most of his guys went missing in the woods. It was like they just disappeared one day. Very strange. Their equipment was abandoned, and a lot of those upside-down R's, along with some headless birds, started popping up in new places. I never told anyone about the kid I met in the bar. He was a real scary kid. I felt like he might lose his luster if I talked about him too much. I got a sign to clean up and finish the new roads. Just after that, the bride and groom of that wedding you were at contacted me to help set up an easy route from the reception to the ceremony so nobody would get lost in all the construction. They invited me to the reception themselves. I didn't know anybody there except you, I guess. I couldn't think of a way to strike up a conversation. Sorry for staring. I guess I tend to do that. That wedding cake was pretty good. Laura sat there stunned by his story, unable to respond. Then Caleb shrugged his shoulders. And it's been a big job ever since, he said. I'll admit that it's slow going. We haven't made a lot of progress on the woods themselves, or the bridge for that matter. Funding's been a struggle with the shift in government. I haven't had a lot of resources to pave the way, no pun intended. I've been hung up in Centerville for a few months, just laying gravel where I can. Most of those guys I got working for me are still in school. All the best of the old road crews went missing with Stas. It's like those woods just swallowed them whole. Caleb was looking over the table at her, staring into her eyes as he spoke. I guess I didn't want you to get lost in them too, he said. Laura took another sip of water. Don't you live in those woods, she asked. Where we just came from, isn't that the place you're talking about? Caleb shook his head politely. No, not exactly, he said. I know it's hard for you city people to understand, but not all the woods around here are the same woods. There's parks and hunting sites, 
camping sites and logging areas. A lot of it is cut up into private properties like mine. I bought up a lot of the land around here when I got this job. It was dirt cheap. Once again, no pun intended. All the families of Stas's crews were selling their property after their husbands and brothers and sons went missing. I own a lot of land now. It's a smart investment. The area I'm talking about is north of here. It's likely you came through it on your way here. There's a route that forks into it. The big rock, Laura said. The rock with the upside-down R. Caleb nodded again the same way as before. Exactly, he said. I put that rock there to stop all the drunk high schoolers from flying over the edge of that fork. Before I took over, that T intersection must have killed dozens of stupid kids. They'd go peeling down the road, probably listening to that shitty Satan music, and the road just splits in two without a warning, and then BAM! Caleb smacked his hand down on the table, simulating a car crash. BAM! he shouted. And that's it. You hit that turn going anything over 30, and you're done for. It's a long drop-off on the other side. No one would survive a fall like that. Not in a car, anyway. And if you did, I'd bet you'd come out wishing you were dead. Laura picked up her coffee and frowned. But what about the rock, she asked. Don't people just drive straight into it now? Caleb took another sip of coffee and shuffled the newspaper in front of him, hesitating to respond, but finally doing so in a long, deflated exhale while staring out the window. Yeah, I guess you're right, he said. That rock's killed about just as many kids as the road did without it. But I can't help but think it's their own fault for being reckless. Also, it's kind of a fitting entrance to those woods. Like a divine rite of passage that says, Die now, or suffer the consequences upon entering. Laura set down her cup. That's terrifying, she said. What's in those woods? Caleb shrugged. I got no idea, he said. I haven't sent workers up there besides a few guys with a gravel belt. They're mainly tearing up the old work stass left unfinished. I heard back that the woods themselves are quiet, almost too quiet, and that the sky over the trees is never anything but bone gray, and that it rains in strange patches. I never make my guys work at night. It's too dangerous with the single lanes all over the place. Half the fucking idiots in this county forget to turn on their headlights at night. They just go out driving blind, like something is pulling them along or telling them where to go. I've met a few people who live around there. I wouldn't want to meet them again, though. They're strange folk, with even stranger children. All the kids are like the one that I met in that bar. They tattoo shit on their own faces and wrists, even on their foreheads. 
weird, scary symbols and upside-down letters. They say that band is pretty popular. It's a shame. Some of the girls have these long, horrible, self-inflicted scars all over their bodies where they carve the images and messages into their own flesh. Young girls. Too young to comprehend what they're doing to themselves. It's an awful sight. Some of the girls even pull out their own front teeth and wear them on strings around their necks or give them to their boyfriends to wear. Weird-ass shit. I saw one girl in a pack of them walking along the side of the road. She was missing her left hand. It'd been chopped off, and she just had this pink stump coming out of her elbow. I drove by them slowly, and I tell you, the way that girl looked at me and waved that stumpy arm, I don't know, but I swear I could just sense that she had cut it off herself. There was something in her smile. It was like... Pride. Caleb sat down his coffee and scratched his swollen ear, continuing with a slight yawn. I know you thought I was like one of those kids back when we were in school together. I know you thought I was a freak. But when I see those kids climbing around in the trees in their baggy clothes with their mutilated pale skin, I can't help but feel thankful I didn't hurt myself more than I did. Caleb turned his forearm upright on the table, inspecting its gruesome blue scar. There's a lot you don't know about me, he said. Back then, I used to think like they do. I used to talk to God or to Satan or whoever I imagined was listening to me at the time. I used to write them letters and then burn them in my backyard. A lot of those letters were about you, about how much I liked you and how hard it was to realize that you didn't like me back. I just always thought you were so beautiful. Laura brought her arms tightly around her chest and looked over to the glass door that led to the parking lot. She was beginning to feel very uncomfortable. Caleb continued talking while looking down at the scar on his arm. I used to write all these stupid letters, but one day I just stopped. It was this one night when things were really bad in my head. I was upset and I was writing to God asking him for help and telling him about you. And then something really scary happened. Something I'll never forget. Laura kept her eyes on the door. What happened? she asked. A single tear ran down Caleb's face. It fell from his left eye, and its trail shimmered in the light from the window. He wiped at it with the back of his hand, and his voice turned clogged and damp. Something answered me, he said. I was pleading for help, begging for a way to make you notice me, praying that my life could be different, that my ears would heal 
that my mom would come home, that I could have friends and someone real to talk to. And out of nowhere, a voice came to me. I was kneeling at the side of my bed. That was where I did all my writing. I didn't have a desk. My dad was gone out drinking, and my grandmother was asleep. I think it was real late at night. I remember all the white walls of my room kept moving a little closer every time I looked up from my paper. It was really quiet. And I heard this scraping sound. It was faint and coming from some place above my head. I had a bright light in my room, hanging from the center of my broken fan. I looked up, and there was this big insect climbing along the jagged stucco on the ceiling. It was dragging its two legs behind it while its front two grappled along from one sharp point to another. I'd never seen a bug like this before, and I've never seen one since. It was long and wide and speckled brown and black. The two back legs looked like fishing hooks. The front two had pinchers, like a lobster. Its back fanned out to several points, but its back didn't look like wings at all, more like broken apart, oozing bits. I don't know, but it had this face. I don't know if I can describe it to you, but it was looking right at me as it drug its body along behind it looking right down at me with an angry look in its eyes. Its eyes were like two black orbs sticking out from either side of its slender head. The eyes were so real. I could see my own terrified reflection in them as the bug pulled itself closer and closer till it was hanging directly above me. When it got there, it stopped. I stood up to get a closer look at it. I wasn't afraid of bugs. There were always bugs in my room. I grew up killing at least ten bugs a night before I went to sleep. But I'd still wake up with bites all over me the next morning. So I was never too surprised to find something crawling around. That night, I stood up and squinted at the big brown bug straining with my eyes in the bright light of the bulb hanging next to my head, trying to make out what it was before I smashed it with a tissue. I had one already wadded up in my hand and stepped up onto my bed to get a closer look. That was when I realized what it was. Laura looked from the door to the scar on Caleb's arm. What was it? she asked. Caleb shook his head slowly, twisting his arm and letting the light from the tiny lamp cast shadows along the jagged line. It was a bug I had killed the night before, he said. <laughs>
the night before, there'd been this big brown bug hanging on the wall by my window. I couldn't tell if it was a grasshopper or a mantis or maybe some kind of moth. It was huge, and I'd taken a paper towel and smashed it into the wall. It left a long smear streak of blood on the wall, and some of its limbs had torn off and stuck there too. It made this crunching sound when I killed it, a snapping, popping sound. After I'd pushed the paper towel several times along the wall to clean up the remains, I'd twisted the towel around the bug and given it a final squeeze before dropping it into the wastebasket next to my dresser, like I always did. There had been a little stain on the wall, but other than that, the rest of it was dead and in the trash. I even pushed the wadded up towel farther down inside the can. I always kind of did that too. But after all of that, here was this same bug dragging its broken apart body along the ceiling the next night. I was standing up on my bed. My face was only a few inches from it. I looked over at the wastebasket in the corner. The paper towel I had used to kill it was lying unraveled on the floor beside it, and a thin trail of blood led up the wall and across the ceiling to where the bug was now hanging and looking at me. It had come back to life, or I had not killed it entirely, and somehow it had fought its way out from beneath all those wadded tissues and candy wrappers. First, pulling its crushed and broken body off the dry paper towel wrapped around it before dragging itself up through the cramped confines of shit piled over it like miles of packed earth, finally reaching the blinding surface of white light where it struggled to the edge and tirelessly reached for the wall with its two remaining legs, holding to the sharp pointed stucco to pull itself up and out of the basket. Dropping from its tail end, the paper towel it had drug along with it while searching for an escape. The paper towel had fallen from it and taken with it over a quarter of the bug's smashed insides. The thing had slid along the wall and ceiling with its guts dragging loosely behind it. Every so often, some of them would snag a rough patch of stucco and rip out I wondered how long it'd taken to get to this point. All day and night, maybe. I hadn't noticed it till I heard it in the quiet of night. So there I was, standing on my bed looking into this insect's giant black eyes as it stared at me. I got real close up to it. Then, in the silence of my filthy room, the insect spoke. Its mouth even moved along with its words. It looked right at me. And do you know what it said? Caleb slowly traced a scar on his arm with a fingertip. It, uh, it said, Would you like more coffee? The old waitress 
had returned with the pot in her hand, interrupting them as she sat down the check. Caleb picked up his coffee, somehow content to not finish what he was saying. The old waitress rubbed him on the shoulder, squeezing down his arm and wrapping her fingers over his bicep while glaring at Laura as if she were a used diaper. I must say, Mr. Caulfield, the old woman sighed, I've never admired your taste in girls, but this one seems to like drinking a bit more than the rest. She shifted her eyes to the empty bottles pushed back on the table. Laura was still watching the door. Outside it, a few leaves slid along the pavement. One flipped over several times, landing with its white side up, and shined in the overhang lights from the gas pumps. The woman's voice became stern. Young lady, you should know it's not often I have to clean up such a mess. You should be ashamed of yourself. The waitress's fingers played down the side of Caleb's arm. Laura noticed that the old woman's forearm was marked with sharp scarring. They were jagged lines and symbols carved into her skin by a razor blade. Her sleeve was rolled back to the elbow, and near the cuff was a pattern of letters. One was an A, another was an R. Both were upside down. The waitress could see that Laura was staring at the letters, but she made no attempt to cover herself. Instead, she brought her hand down and pressed her knuckles on the tabletop, flexing the arm and letting Laura get a better look. Bitches like you should know how to clean up after yourselves, the old woman said with a grin. But I guess that's one thing Daddy never taught you. How about you go clean the vomit out of your teeth so Mr. Caulfield and I can have a chance to talk? Laura looked at the raised scars twisting in front of her. The old woman's eyes sparkled as her yellow smile widened back exposing gold fillings. Laura slid out of the booth and walked around past the coffee counter, pushing open the door to the woman's room. The light was off and the room went black as the door swung closed behind her. Her hands fumbled along the walls, searching for a light switch. Suddenly, in the darkness, Laura became very afraid. The room had a chill, and she felt a presence standing directly behind her, something that held its limbs back from touching her, waiting until she would least expect it. She flailed her arms around violently, grabbing at cold tile walls and spinning in a circle. Her hand brushed over a mirror, and her fingers wrapped around a faucet just below it. She stopped and took a breath. Then her left hand crawled up the edge of glass in front of her and brushed against a thin, swinging chain. She snatched it and gave it a yank. The room exploded in the color of dead yellow skin. Her reflection in the mirror was a blur, her eyes straining to focus. She touched her face. It was still throbbing. 
There was a line of stall doors behind her, and a low plastic ceiling, inches above her head. The room had no windows. Laura turned on the faucet and ran her hands under the cold water, bringing it up to her mouth and face repeatedly. She scrubbed at her face. The water stung her eyes and lips. She shut off the water and turned, almost falling into one of the stalls. She fumbled with the buttons of her jeans and pulled them down to just above her knees. Then she sat on the toilet and held her face in her hands. She felt her bowels drop and sat up. She opened her eyes. The walls of the stall were so narrow that her elbows pressed into them on either side. The door in front of her was scrawled with graffiti. It was mostly done with red marker, and a few illegible phrases had been scratched out in ballpoint pen. The older writing was covered by other, newer writing, smearing together in the shape of a scribbled rain cloud. Laura didn't want to try reading any of it. But when she turned to gather some toilet paper, she noticed a phrase just above the row. It was jaggedly carved into the yellow plastic wall in enormous letters. I am the knife that fucks the wound.